I want to point out, since you guys didn't come give me a hug when I decided it was his turn. <laughs> right, everyone? I'm going to read a couple of stories today, and I want to pull out of there and extract a lot of truth. So I'm going to jump in straight away. I want to go to Luke chapter 7 from verse 36. We might have heard these stories before. We might have an understanding of them. We might have been touched by them before, but there's a few things I'd like to pull out. <clears throat> so the Bible says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Remember, this was just a thought. Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 bucks and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, what kind of guy is this who even forgives sins? <laughs> Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And we, and we read the story and we understand it and we hear it and we're thinking it's about sacrifice, we're thinking it's about the perfume, we're thinking about the cost. We know that some of the disciples in another gospel were complaining about the price of the perfume. <laughs> But I want to break it down a little bit and see exactly what the word of God is trying to teach us through this story. And the first thing is that Jesus went to the Pharisee's house. And there's something about the Pharisees that's consistent in the whole of God's word. And that is that they saw themselves as righteous. They believed that they were setting a godly example. Their life revolved around appearance. They wanted everyone to see them for what they wanted to portray. They thought that they were, had a, a sense of godliness to others in their own eyes. So when you look at the Pharisee, we're looking at someone who thought that they were doing the right thing. In fact, we find out that the Pharisees, all of their energy went into appearing to be godly. Studying God's word and acting better than everyone else. That's the Pharisees we're talking about. Then we turn and we go to verse 37 and 38. And it says, a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the table. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. And I know we've always visualized this picture of perhaps her kneeling at his feet as he sat. But the reality is she was so much aware of her own sinfulness. She was too embarrassed to stand before Jesus. She actually came behind. And it's an image that we need to portray in our mind is that 
This was an act of repentance. It was an act of awareness of self. It was an act where she knew that she needed salvation. We look at this gift and it's a, it's a sacrificial gift. And we recognize that her heart was contrite and that she was tender and recognized who Jesus was. So you have a stark difference between the Pharisee that believed themselves to be completely holy in the eyes of man. And you have a woman that recognized her need for salvation. And that is what this is talking about. If you go to verse 39, the Bible says this. <clears throat> it says, when the Pharisee saw, and then he said this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And it's an understanding that the Pharisee who believed himself to be so holy, when he looked at the woman, all he recognized that was the sin and the unworthiness. But if you look at the heart of Jesus, who's setting an example for us in the scripture, all that Jesus saw was her heart and her act of repentance. So you have two completely different views from two completely different people. And if you look at Jesus as an individual, he's setting an example for us to follow. And what's very interesting for me is when we read the various stories about Jesus going to people's houses, like Matthew, in another passage of scripture, people complained and said, why does he go to the house of non-believers and sinners. And yet if we look at the act of the Pharisee, we can also take him and put him in the same category of those who are misguided and misled. Those who are focusing on what is incorrect. Instead of seeing the woman's heart, all that he could see was the sinfulness. Then we look at Jesus and we recognize this through the story, and that is that love overlooks a multitude of sins. It's another scripture that we understand is in the word of God. So we want to take the example of Jesus and say that Jesus set a godly example for us to follow. We have a choice as we walk through life. We can look at people's weaknesses or we can look at their need for God. If we're so focused on our appearance that we miss those that are lost, then we actually are worthless to the kingdom of God. We have to redirect our focus and look at those who need God based on their need not on who we think we are. It's a very important lesson that Jesus sets for us. It's a godly example for every one of us to follow. No amens yet, it's going to get there. Trust me. Now I'm going to look at another story. We looked at the first one and we're going to take this away from it. That is, that is the example Jesus set for us. It's the example of a loving God. It's the example that love over, overcomes and overlooks, more importantly, a multitude of sins. Now we're going to have a look at the story of the Good Samaritan. There's some things that I want to pull out of there and make it real. Very similar story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and said this, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I need you to understand the question so that you can see the importance of what happens at the end. I'll read it again very carefully. He says this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do as an individual? What do I need to represent? What do I need to portray? Who do I need to love? Who do I need to reach out to? Who needs to be touched by my existence? How can I bless those around me? What do I need to do? It's an action word. What, what, what is it a part of me that I'm actively doing? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. We know this to be the greatest commandment. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And it parallels the first story. Who was the neighbor to the woman that was sinful? We find out that was Jesus. He's asking, so who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half alive, or half dead, depending on your translation. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. But when a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He then put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What are we learning from the story? Loving our neighbor as ourselves. The question has always been, who is our neighbor? Who is it? Where are they? Where do I find them? Who is it? Today we need to ask ourselves the question, who is our neighbor? Verse 31, the first thing we learn is that a priest happened to be going down the same road. What do you know about the priests at that time? They were full of knowledge. They were knowledge-based. They were teachers of the law. They had a vocation. I'm going to explain it to you why it's so important. Because we as Christians, we can be so involved in what we're doing on a daily basis and believe that to be what we need to be doing that we walk past those that are in need of salvation. Our focus is in so much of who we are as an individual that our love for the lost has diminished. And when we see people in need, we become hard-hearted because we think there's something better we need to be doing. I need to set a better example. I need to learn more. I need to have more knowledge. So if someone comes and asks me about God, I can tell them. Remember what the question is, what do I need to do? It's important we understand what God is telling us through this story. It's not about knowing. It's about physically doing. It's about not missing the opportunity to share the gospel. It's about not missing the opportunity to show compassion. It's about having our eyes open to those who are in need. The priest was so clever, he thought that's what he needed to be, was clever. And in his cleverness, he missed the need. Then we go to the Levite who came by next in verse 32. What do we know about the Levites? They're a chosen people. They're anointed. They do the work at the temple. That's their job. They were anointed to do it. Go do your homework. You'll find out. What do we recognize about the Levite? He was on his way to go and do something. <coughs> and if I look at the Levite, something rings true. Sometimes we can get so busy. Listen carefully. With the work that we think that needs to be done for the church. That that is all that we do. And in doing that, yes, we are faithful, but in doing it, we come blind to the needs that are around us on a daily basis. And we think that that is our purpose and our calling. So we get so busy with the work of life and we can justify it saying, but I'm doing this for the church. I'm organizing for Sunday. I'm getting busy for Wednesday. That we walk past people that need to hear the gospel and we don't even see them. So we have to recognize that that is a trap that we can fall into. Very easy to justify, but 
I went to church on Sunday. I did my, my, my prayer every morning. I've done my Wednesday. How many people have you touched this week? Remember, it's what do we need to do? It's a question thing. That is why we have this example. So sometimes I like to ask questions. I'm going to ask the question directly. When was the last time you shared the truth about God's love with someone? When was the last time that you met a need? When is the last time that you actively were involved in touching another person's life? Because that is what we are called to do. We can't get so involved in the important things in life that we forget to represent the love of Christ. That's the Levite. Sometimes the truth is a bit painful. Then we go to verse 33 and we find out it's a Samaritan. What happened with Jesus with the woman in the first story? He was moved by compassion. What do we find about the Samaritan? He was moved by compassion. It's consistent. If I want to know that I have the heart of God, I ask myself a question. When I see a need, am I still moved by compassion? Do I see the heart of the people in need? Or do I see what I believe to be their shortcomings? And if I find myself focusing on the shortcomings rather than the need, I recognize I've either become a Pharisee, a priest, or a Levite, and I'm too busy to extend the love of God. When I find myself in that place, I start to remind myself of these stories and say, what I need to do is get back on track. The question is, who is my neighbor and what do I need to do? I need to allow myself to be moved by compassion. And the question has always been, who is my neighbor? My answer to you is, our neighbor is the one that we can be a neighbor to. Our neighbor is the one that needs to feel the love of God. Our neighbor is the one that allows us to feel compassion so we can meet their need. Our neighbor is the one that we allow our love to overlook their weaknesses and shortcomings. Our neighbor is the one that needs salvation. Our neighbor is the one that we don't want to talk to. Our neighbor is the one that we don't want to hang out with in case people talk about us. Our neighbor is the one that we need to sacrifice self in order to show the compassion and love of God. Remember in the first story, we're looking at a godly example. In the second one, we're looking at the heart of compassion. I want to get to the end of that and see what it says. So if you go to verse 37, the experts in the law replied, when Jesus said, who was the neighbor? He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, what did he say? Go and do likewise. Remember, what must I do? Jesus says, go and do likewise. I'll tell you why it's important. At least in my life, there's a difference between assisting Rory. I like to pick on Rory. Assisting Rory to go and do something. Rory's life will be changed, but there's a completely different thing when I do something out of compassion that God has compelled me to do. It changes my life and the person I'm ministering to. It's important that we don't think just because we're stuck being a priest, a Levite, or a Pharisee, that that's enough. The request in this story is that all, every single one of us go and do likewise. It's not go and know. When you leave church today, it's not going and knowing what I'm supposed to do. It's going and doing what I'm supposed to do. The trap of many Christians is to come to church, get full of knowledge and walk out of here, but your life doesn't change and nor does your actions. But we justify our life because we say we've gone to church. But the Bible is very important. It's very direct. And it tells us we need to set an example, like Jesus' example. The requirement is that we go and do likewise. If each and every one of us, we can't say, well, I know that Gideon's doing it for our church, so I don't need to. 
The request is every single one of us as an individual need to represent Christ. Every single one of us, based on the example of Jesus, need to share the love, the love of God. We have to allow ourselves to overlook people's sin and love them despite it, like Jesus did in the first example. Go and do likewise. Knowledge is not action. What do I need to do? Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's something that we have to portray. People see our actions, not our speech. No amens, but we're going to get there. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. Remember, we're looking at a godly example. We're looking at our heart of compassion. I want to see if I'm still soft-hearted. Luke chapter 15 from verse 1 to 7. says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man comes and welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I have to look at this story and all three have something in common. The self-righteousness of the Pharisees blinded them to the fact that they were not walking in God's obedience. So when they looked at Jesus sitting with what they believed to be sinners, and unrighteous people, they had failed to recognize their own unrighteousness. So even when Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, he was still sitting with the unrighteous, even though they thought that they were righteous. So it's an interesting perspective. They muttered, this man comes and welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go and look for the lost sheep? until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, hey, let's have a party. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Very straightforward. Again, the example set by Jesus. If you look at the lost sheep, to me, it's very telling. Jesus picked up the sheep, put it on his shoulders, and took him all the way home. He carried them and their burdens to the place of salvation. Listen carefully. It's the example set by Jesus. He didn't discipline the sheep for being lost. He didn't spank the sheep for wandering away. He just recognized that the sheep needed saving. And he went and he searched until he found it. It took time. It wasn't an instant thing. It's the example set by Jesus again. If you look at the life of Christ, we find this. It was always worth it to Jesus to be despised for the company that he kept in order to save the lost. It's consistent in his example. It was always worth it. He didn't care what people said about him. He was more interested in the hearts of people than the opinions of men. We have to look at ourselves and say this. We have to look at the love of Christ and say we need to love people despite their weakness. We have to allow ourselves to have that heart of compassion. But most importantly, I have to ask the question, what am I willing to go through to display the heart of God to those who are lost? And if it was worth it for Jesus, it will always be worth it for us. And I have had examples in life where I've actually done that. 
I won't, I won't mention names, but there's one example that stands out. And that is a, a person that was very well known for partying and drinking and having a great time. In fact, he used to start drinking at OG's on Friday and finish Sunday night and try to recover for work on Monday. And then there was a car show that happened to be on the Sunday. And as a joke, he invited me. But as it so happens on that particular day, with another engagement that I was involved in, I was wearing my suit with a white collar. The one that Jennifer quite despises. Nonetheless, he said he's got free tickets and it's the, the manufacturer's thing before the show starts on Monday, would I like to go? And I said, no problem, come and pick me up. So we went, the two of us. And he said to me, I bet you I know more people here than you do. And I said, well, let's see. And it was quite amazing to witness the very well-known party animal hanging out with someone who appeared to be a priest, walking side by side. And it was very interesting to see the reactions of men. Because those that knew him well that were still involved in that lifestyle could not come and approach us and talk to us because I was standing there. At the same time, those who were Christians who thought themselves to be righteous wouldn't come and talk to us in case people saw them standing with him. So when I read these stories, I recognize so much truth in the characters that they portray. And it boils down to some very simple steps. Number one, I have to set an example of Jesus Christ and I have to love people despite their sin and weakness. So that allows them to get to a place of salvation. That is the example that Jesus set. I have to be like the good Samaritan and I have to be moved by compassion. I can't be so busy in my own life that I've become hard-hearted and blind to the needs of those around me. And number three, I've got to get to the place that I'll do whatever it takes to display the heart of God. So that people can come to a place of salvation. Those are the three lessons that we need to learn from, from today. Love despite sin and weakness, have a soft heart that's moved by compassion, and don't even care what anyone else says about you. Amen. Ryan Bates.